This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name's Stephen Portia. My name's Andrew Carroll. And today we're discussing Art House Darling, blockbuster supporting actor, acclaimed director in his own right, and proud partner of Zoe Kazan, Paul Dano. <laughs> Andrew, run down <laughs> yes, their history. Yes, welcome to the podcast your dad won't listen to because we haven't covered Lee Van Cleef yet. <laughs> anyway, uh, Paul Dano was born in New York in 1984. He began acting in community theatre before getting his first Broadway role at the tender age of 10. One of his first TV roles was on season four of The Sopranos, and his first major film role was in 2001's LIE, or LIE, which mm-hmm. stands for Long Island Expressway. Uh, his best-known supporting role was in the Sundance smash Little Miss Sunshine. He was nominated for a BAFTA for his dual role as Paul and Eli Sunday in There Will Be Blood. Uh, 2012 was Dano's biggest year with roles in Ruby Sparks, Looper, 12 Years a Slave, and Prisoners. He was nominated for a Golden Globe for his role as beach boy Brian Wilson in Love and Mercy. And he co-wrote and directed Wildlife with his partner, Zoe Kazan. To talk, Dano, we're joined by a special guest, creator of Cold Coffee Press, uh, where Andrew and I have contributed to in the past, and a book critic, you know, in his own right. Has uh, written to he- for Headstuff once on an <laughs> article about Kevin Barry's <laughs> Dark Lies yeah. the Island. Welcome, James Holland, to a show. Thanks for having me, guys. Delighted to be here. Lovely to have you. You pitched us on uh, Paul Dano. What is it about Dano you find so interesting? Yeah, so I guess he he mentioned the podcast, I'd say a few months ago at this stage, and he was the first person popped into my head. And I haven't really been able to get him out of my head since. I think it's the fact that he never has a passive presence on the screen. So anytime you see him, even if he's not saying anything or has no dialogue, he still draws your eye. Mm, Yeah, that's that's very true. true. Yeah, yeah. Especially in the likes of prisoners or something like that. Yeah, Yeah, where he doesn't talk that much. Yeah, he barely speaks and his face is just swollen. (laughs) <laughs> but we'll get to that yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of diversity I feel in his career mm. when I look up the character <laughs> actors that we cover on the show I always go into IMDB and see what their like recurring trademark is and the mm. only one I could find for him is often plays characters who receive beatings yeah that's very true yeah. that is but, um, very true yeah. even though he's like surprisingly like, six foot zero which I never realized mm. Mm. but um he can play like dark and difficult characters to more loving and sympathetic ones. And he's, he's worked with everybody like Paul Thomas Anderson, Steve McQueen, Ang Lee, Denny Villeneuve, Pat Sorrentino, Kelly Reichardt. And he, he moves effortlessly between indie cinema or art house films or, or mainstream pop posters and even TV. So I think he's interesting to talk about yeah. in that way. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, in, he's been in a lot of movies to me that were very formative that I watched when I was a teenager yeah. and as I was kind of discovering movies like I, I remembered him in Looper his death in that movie horrified yeah. Oh, me yeah. Terrible, yeah. Um, I, I loved Prisoners when I saw in cinema I, I remember reviewing Youth for my my Portio's portfolio my <laughs> blog I made before I started writing for Head Stuff and uh, Love and Mercy mm-hmm. I'd written about for that blog too and mm-hmm. it was one of my favourite movies of the year it came out I don't remember not knowing Paul Dano mm. you know? yeah, yeah, yeah yeah will we Talk about There Will Be Blood yeah, to kick off because sure. yeah. I don't think any of us were really in the mood to revisit Little Miss Sunshine. No, I haven't seen it, so and I was, I've never uh, seen it. Yeah. <laughs> what, guys, come on! Have you seen Little Miss Sunshine? I have. But I've seen the scene where he finds out he's colorblind. Spoiler, but uh, did you not talk in compare a movie in, in a previous episode to Little Miss Sunshine unfavorably? <laughs> I did, yeah, but that's because I know that Little Miss Sunshine is well regarded, whereas I also know that The Hollers yeah. is not well regarded. I just feel like Little Miss Sunshine was a movie that was always on TV, and when something is so available to you, you're like, oh, I'll yeah. catch it another time. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really? probably the most exciting scene you've seen, Andrew. Okay, all yeah, right. Yeah. So I don't need to watch the rest of the movie. No, Grant, no. okay. <laughs> Lair will be blood. Let's go. Get out of here, ghost. Get out. 
Get out of here, ghost. Get out of here. Don't you dare turn around and come back. For if you do, all the armies of my boot will kick you in the teeth. And you will be cast up and thrown in the dirt and thrust back to perdition. And as long as I have teeth, I will bite you. And if I have no teeth, I will gum you. And as long as I have fish, I will pass you now. Get out of your What I remember about There Will Be Blood is uh, why Quentin Tarantino said it was his favourite movie of like 2007 or whatever year it came out. Mm. And he said it's about a movie uh, at the start of the film, a man falls down a mine and breaks his leg and then hauls himself out of the mine. And the movie just continues with that energy for like two hours and 40 minutes. And I was like, wow. And the man is Daniel Plainview, who's played by Daniel Day-Lewis, who is, starts out as a silver prospector and then... Uh, I'm an oil man. A, and becomes an oil, oil man. man. <laughs> yeah. And uh, buys up loads of land so he can drill it for oil uh, after he's told by a man called Paul Sunday, who's played by Paul Dano. But Paul's brother, Eli Sunday, wants money for his new church. So um, He kind of holds out. Yeah, he he's one of the holdout, one of the two holdouts. I don't want to say he's the villain of the uh, no, piece, well, but he's definitely... Yeah. I mean, they're both villains, really. They're both horrible people, yeah. and I feel that Danny Plainview really hates him because he sees him as sort of his rival. Yeah. Because whereas he is very good at manipulating people, like he's a businessman, mm. Paul Dano, this, um, Eli is this preacher, yeah. and he sort of manipulates his followers yeah 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 and i feel like it's kind of the clash between there that's the one thing that daniel day lewis can't the people that he can appeal to yeah i feel yeah, like that yeah. that's the clash and mm. they sort of have this bitter bitter rivalry that mm. slowly develops throughout the movie in uh, really weird ways and yeah i think i look derby blood is a very tough difficult movie but i find some of it it like it, it becomes so grotesque and so ghoulish that it almost becomes funny yeah like yeah. all those like preaching scenes with Paul Dano uh, or the bit where he's like baptizing yeah. Danny Day-Lewis oh, and he's like I abandoned my boy mm-hmm. say it you mm-hmm. abandoned your boy and he's like I abandoned my boy and then he just starts slapping <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's insane or the bit where he's talking in the when you're introduced to him I think for the first time um, saying mass and he's like get out as long as yeah, I have yeah. teeth mm-hmm. I will bite you yeah, and if yeah. I don't have teeth I will gum you get out <laughs> but um, he throws this invisible man outside out, out of the church. church yeah yeah yeah, he's so t- theatrical, like, the whole way throughout, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I really liked how Daniel Day-Lewis has this really, really slow-burning intensity, mm. whereas any time uh, Dano is on screen, he just uh, explodes. He's really explosive, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Especially the church scenes. They're great. Yeah. They're yeah. so and, much fun. And it, it seems like him and Day-Lewis have really good chemistry, and mm. they worked together previously on a movie that was directed by Daniel Day-Lewis's wife, mm. um, The Ballad of Jack and Rose, and apparently Day-Lewis was so impressed with Paul Dano in that movie, that there was an unknown actor who I believe was cast in the role of uh, Paul and Eli who yeah. backed out last minute yeah. and he he pitched Anderson, yeah. the director, Paul Thomas Anderson, on Dano. And um, I think you, you feel that kind of chemistry between yeah, them two. Absolutely, and yeah. I, th- I think what's really impressive about, because like, Danny Day is such a powerhouse in that movie that it, it's, it would be very hard, I imagine, for an actor to leave an impression 
Whereas um, Dano gets to have a, like a lot of fun in yeah, the movie, and yeah. he his yeah. character completely has an arc where he goes from being this like scary yeah. and um, powerful, authoritative person at the beginning of the movie to the last scene of the movie where he's like sniveling and yeah, groveling, yeah, and Danny Day Lewis is throwing bowling balls. Yeah. <laughs> and Green Ninja, God, God, so funny. <laughs> That's the thing about the that ghoulish thing when he yeah. when he's already like basically saying like you've lost, you know, yeah. Eli, you've lost, but he's like. You're the afterbirth. Your yeah. mother should have put you on the mantelpiece. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's weird. He's really submissive in a lot of films. And this is one of them, I think. Like, he's really the weak link. Um, and he, you know, he tries to take the moral high ground at times, but he's just, he just has no he legs have to stand any. on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Even at the last scene, he is a very good preacher, but when he shows up to Danny Day-Lewis in the last scene, and he's like, I'll, I'll sell you that land if you want it. And he's like, I've sinned. I've thrown yeah. off the path. I've lost all my money. And, you start to think like were you just into religion because it gave you power yeah like, do you actually yeah. believe in any of this stuff yeah, or yeah. are you just mm. like charismatic yeah you know? well i feel like that's the thing though they like they've both reached a point where they've kind of both lost everything that was ever truly dear to them like you think uh, paul dano uh eli is all about you know family and moral values but it turns out he just loved the money and the power mm. whereas you think daniel plainview is really into like power and money but uh, in pursuit of that he lost everything that could have ever been dear to him like he, he, lo- he loses his son HW who he sort of has feelings for who he sort of, <laughs> yeah, yeah sort of and yeah. uh, like any opportunity at uh, you know friendship or a, a happy full home life is just gone by the end of the movie for him and they've both reached that point uh, of you know just having lost everything mm. but uh, they both refuse to admit it and only one of them gets the escape they deserve yeah Will we uh, move on to a different Western with Paul Dano? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Meek's Cutoff, um, directed by acclaimed American indie filmmaker Kelly Reichardt. The year is 1845, the air these days of the Oregon Trail, and a wagon team of three families, including real-life couple Paul Dano and Zoe Kazan, along with Michelle Williams and Will Patton, has hired the mountain man Stephen Meek, played by Bruce Greenwood, to guide them over the Cascade Mountains. Do you know the mountain man, the mountain man, the mountain man? <laughs> Uh, claim to know shortcut meek um, leads group on this unmarked path um, across the high plain desert only to come lost and over the coming days the immigrants uh you know face you know hunger thirst and their own lack of faith in each other's instincts for survival and when a native american wanderer crosses their path the immigrants are torn between like do we trust a guide who's proven himself unreliable and who keeps talking about all these like big tales about mm. finding bears and stuff but doesn't seem to know anything yeah <laughs> Or do they trust this person who they've always seen of as the natural, the, the enemy? Yeah. You know? yeah. And um, yeah, it features a lot of the hallmarks of Westerns. Like there's the barren plains, rifles, men on horseback. But it, it, it's, it skews any like action or, you know, shootouts. Uh, trying to get a wagon down a hill is like the most action-packed yeah. ever. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's just like realistic portrayal of the types of um, long journeys people made in the past before, you know, cars, trains or airplanes, you know, in search of a better life. And you know, it also doubles as this wish fulfillment narrative, you know, mm. because you, you're you essentially watching these sympathetic, if not totally likable characters. Like even Michelle Williams, who's the hero of the movie, her attitude to non-white people is very much of the time. Yeah, yeah. But you're watching them decide to trust this Native American um, who they've been ingrained by people like Meek into hating over Meek. Mm. This person who talks a big game but doesn't know what he's doing and... I've I've seen the movie a couple of times, but watching it now made me think that uh, if most Americans had made a similar choice, <laughs> you know, uh, the country would be a better place. Yeah. You know, um, I also really love the cast and characters, and 
it's it's very much sort of like Robert Altman, like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, kind of ensemble of just great faces who you spend a lot of time with, and yeah. slowly you learn more about them throughout the movie. Paul Dano plays Thomas Gately, this person who's traveling to Oregon to start a new life with his wife as a salesman, and he's somebody who's younger and less grizzled than the other man on the journey, and while he just disagrees with a lot of their decisions and is scared and paranoid what's going to happen to him and his wife, he's sort of forced to go along with their plan. And and it could be a character that's a bit one note, but Reichardt gives him plenty of time to shine and something Dano was really game for. There's a great scene where Meek wants to get information on where to find a water supply out of the Native American and wants to you know, basically torture yeah. him. <laughs> and um, it's Dano's bright idea to trade rugs that the group have with the Indian who doesn't speak English to to gain his trust. And Dano has this great line where his character gets to showcase his particular strength to the more rash and hot-headed Meek, where he says to him after the trade, like, that there is the law of the land, Mr. Meek. Barter. (laughs) (laughs) And also him and Zoe Kazan have a few great moments, most of which are her freaking out about a possible attack from the Native Americans tribe Mm. and him trying to keep her calm. But my favorite bit is this really cute moment where Meek is drunk, talking around the campfire about what a tough guy he is and Dano and Kazan share a look which is the universal sign of like can you believe this guy? We talk about Looper? Yeah, yeah sure. for sure. Looper, yeah. Yeah. Paul Dano plays Seth who uh, is a Looper who is a hitman in the year 2044 who uh, executes people sent back in time by the mob <laughs> and is paid in silver bars strapped to the bodies of the people he executes and uh, when a loop is closed, by which I mean the looper's job is finished, they kill their future self who is sent back into the past so that uh, nothing can be traced back to the mob of the future. And they're paid in gold, yada, yada, yada. But Seth fails to kill, to close his loop and his um, future self escapes off into the wilds of Kansas City 2044. And uh, what happens next is horrifying <laughs> it's pretty bad yeah this is yeah. the best scene of the movie yeah it's not it's not a move the movie isn't about seth it's uh he's about, just kind of color yeah he's really he's color and he's yeah. great color he really yeah, pops yeah. uh because the first the first was for his introduction is when he's bought like a brand new hover bike and he's like threatening a homeless man he's like step away from the bike away oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> uh, and yeah but the movie is about joseph gordon levitt's character um do you like looper yeah. I like the first 40 minutes of Looper. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like when it comes to children of the corn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I I've, after when it's once it hits the the farm where he meets where Joseph Gordon-Levitt meets Emily Blunt and the rainmaker it gets really boring because it takes us yeah. out of like that near future setting that's so cool and so like neo noir and mm. whatever. And maybe maybe it was budgetary or whatever but like I just don't understand why you take us away from all this cool shit you've set up. Mm-hmm. And bring yeah. us just so far back to basics. Like she's chopping wood in it. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Yeah, with an axe. With an axe, yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know what? Muscular Emily Blunt, yeah, it does yeah. it for me, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it slows down drastically, I feel. Yeah, um, yeah. And maybe, it, it becomes a little bit more like any other time movie then because Yeah, yeah, exactly. It wraps yeah. up kind of very neatly yeah, and everything yeah. like that. Whereas I kinda liked how the first 40 or 50 movies you're like this feels really fresh and inventive like I've never yeah, seen anything yeah. like this before and then I think that second half is a lot more derivative but um, Dano is in that first half of the movie mm. which is good yeah. that, that's <laughs> yeah. why it's good yeah. 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 he honestly he brings so much to it and he's he's this real sleazy character like he'd definitely be if he was in your friend group he'd be the sort of guy that you'd have to like bail out of prison or something yeah you know? exactly he's that kind of character <laughs> Yeah, uh, but he like he looks great in it. He has that little like tiny little ponytail thing going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a lot of fun while he's in it. Mm. Uh, I love the style of all the loopers. 
the, the suits. Yeah, and all the suits. Yeah, because they're all like young men. And then they're Jeff all... Daniels shows up when he's just wearing jeans. Yeah, yeah <laughs> a massive beard. Yeah. yeah, that's a cool movie. Yeah, I like Noah yeah. Sagan's character oh, as he's well. Great. Yeah, mm. where he has the really too long pistol. Yeah. Um, Twelve Years a Slave. We do. Might as well. I thought I told you to commence to putting on clappers. Yes, master, I'm about it. These have all been replaced. Well, didn't I tell you to get a keg of nails? And so I did. So you did. God damn you, I thought you knowed something. I did as instructed. If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instruction. I only watched this for the podcast. Um, it kind of slipped me by as well, but... When Dano is in it, he is—he's pretty electric. He's mm. very good when he's in it. He's—I don't know if it's a spoiler, but he's not in it for that long. He plays this um, very bigoted, backwards American who is extremely racist. And yeah, he has the scene where he unleashes himself um, on a black man, and then suddenly he gets overpowered basically and gets beaten with his own whip. I think, and something he does really well is be submissive. You know, mm. like. Yeah. Whenever he is getting beat on, I actually, I was looking him up on YouTube and there's a video called, I think it's Dano's Greatest Hits. And it's a video of him getting hit in the face. (laughs) (laughs) It it was just perfect. It sums him up like really well. He does that sort of thing really, really well. Yeah, Yeah, I'm actually thinking about it now. You're right. (laughs) We haven't even gotten to prisoners. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The whole movie is him being beaten up. Uh, But yeah, he was really good in it for when he was in it. Um, The film itself, it's it's very good. It's very long. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Very, very long. But uh, he does add a lot to it when he is in it. So I'd say watch it for him. Just more on how like how weak and pathetic he is, basically, <laughs> is all I have on it. Uh, his Story mas- of his life. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like He's trying to play this like hyper-masculine character, which he isn't. like Even to look at him, he has such a, like, a baby face yeah, in most of the films. Like, yeah. It's weird when he has a beard, I think. Yeah. Um, but in this one in particular, like he just he's just weak. His hatred drives his intensity. But, like, he loses that straight away when the, the whip is turned <laughs> yeah. on him, you know. As you heard in the intro, this show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, Ireland's largest network of independent podcasts. There's plenty of other great shows to check out on the network. Here's a taster of one. My name is Stephanie Preisner, and my podcast is called Basically with Stephanie Preisner, and I have guests on every week who explain things to me because they're experts and I'm not. We've had people like... Pascal Donoghue, the Minister for Finance, explain what it's like to be the Minister for Finance. We've had on Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, explain what it's like to be Taoiseach. Luke O'Neill explained coronavirus. Uh, a nurse explaining what it's like to get coronavirus. And then loads of things that aren't related to coronavirus at all at all. Like politics and being a child actor. If you like finding out about things, listen to Basically with Stephanie Preisner. And now, back to the show. Um, prisoners. Prisoners! Ooh. Yeah. I don't recognize these girls. I didn't see them. May I sit down? What do you do in the RV? Answer my question. You sleep there. You sleep in there. Why was the RV parked outside the house? Mm, I went for a drive. You went for a drive? You weren't driving. I know for a fact those girls were playing outside your RV. You weren't driving. It was parked. Was it a special day? Were you planning on taking two little girls? No. You done that before? No. Yeah, following on from There Will Be Blood and Twelve Years a Slave, another character who receives beatings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Do you want to break down the plot? Sure, yeah. Um Prisoners is a movie about the kidnap of two young girls, the daughter of 
Keller Dover, who's played by Hugh Jackman, and Terence Howard's character, whoever he is. He's not really, <laughs> really not that important. Like Viola Davis's husband. Viola Davis's husband. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then the girls are kidnapped, and the police start an investigation, uh, led by Detective Loki. And uh, soon enough, a man known uh, called Alex Jones, played by Paul Dano, who is a developmentally challenged young man, is found driving an RV that was seen at the scene of the kidnapping and is taken into custody, but is released due to lack of evidence and because he could not have possibly kidnapped the two girls. And it twists and turns from there and uh, finds various red herrings, including Alex Jones and other people, until it eventually settles on a sweaty, icy chase through this driving snow it's incredible mm. unreal movie maybe my favourite that Denis Villeneuve has directed yeah it's yeah, wonderful it's movie. fantastic yeah. Yeah. what I love about Dano's character is because you you didn't mention it but he gets kidnapped by yeah he, gets, he gets kidnapped he becomes a prisoner he's, a he's prisoner, the prisoner yeah, yeah. of the title yeah. I suppose what I love about it is you watch it for the first time when I did in cinema and the minute you see Paul Dano you're like bad man yeah, don't bad like man, him no <laughs> get away because yeah. he tries to flee from the police when he's cornered it's sort of the whole thing with the RV and like yeah, lurking outside yeah. the house is weird. So mm. when they're question the pedophile glasses, yeah. mm. <laughs> when they're questioning him about the case, he seems like sometimes weirdly detached mm. or so sometimes childlike and sometimes like very aware. Yeah, mm. yeah. And it, it, there's just something really off about it. He says things like, "What's the thing he says to Hugh Jackman when says, uh, they um, only cried when I left?" Yeah, them. yeah that's like, terrifying. That, that's the thing about that movie because it has so many like little bits that you just want to see developed more like mm. it's two and a half hours and I feel like if it was like an eight hour kind of true detective it's the closest thing I've seen to true detective yeah, so it's true yeah. Detective. Uh, mm. miniseries then I feel like it would be somehow even better I think mm. Mm. yeah it has, It just has so many moments like that where you're like ooh why did a chill run up or my the, spine the bit where um, Jackman is stalking him before he kidnaps him mm. And he, Dan is singing the song that Jackman's daughter was singing, like, uh, Jingle Bells, Bells, oh, yeah, Bells. Yeah, yeah, and then the he dog. picks up the dog and chokes it yeah, with yeah, the leash. That's horrific, yeah. Yeah. And he just seems like not good news. Yeah. But then, spoiler alert, so I'll leave a pause. It's revealed in the end that he's probably the biggest victim of yeah, them all. That's you the know? worst part. Yeah. yeah. He was he was this kid who was kidnapped by the baddies, made to help them kidnap and kill other kids, and has the IQ of a ten year old because it suggested that they spiked him with so much ketamine. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. It, it fucked that up it, his, that brain. his brain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What amazes me about Dan's performance is watching the movie a second time, everything in Dan's performance that I just mentioned as being like, he's bad news, yeah. is purely the result of like, oh, this he's like really damaged. Yeah, like, he, yeah. I feel yeah. sorry for this person. Yeah. And it, it, it makes watching the movie even better because I think anyone should watching the movie be questioning what Hugh Jackman is doing yeah, but I think absolutely. the first time you yeah. watch it you're a bit like I get what I get it yeah, because I get he's his like, motives, like yeah, you know yeah. his daughter's been kidnapped whereas the second time you're like oh vengeance is wrong <laughs> you yeah, know what yeah, I mean yeah, like because yeah. of this because you, you, you can never guarantee that someone yeah it's because like Paul Dano is the switch that turns like people you think are ordinary decent people into really morally compromised anti-heroes because even Jake Gyllenhaal has his moments in that movie mm. Where he's like, like really in people's faces, and it's like, is he gonna shoot this guy or like beat him, beat mm. him in custody, yeah. that kind yeah. of thing? Like, it really leaves it open up to things like, how far would you go to stop a kidnapper or yeah. uh, avenge your child or whatever? And it's like, would you, would you kidnap the man who you think is the kidnapper and beat him for information and stick him in a shower and alternate the? Well, you temperature shouldn't of the do water? that because yeah. how you, how would you how do you know like mm, for sure exactly, yeah, you know yeah. yeah. 
I guess it drives it to those things. Mm. And Dano, it, like without saying anything, he is, he just looks like bad news. Mm. He's terrifying to watch. He, he makes you uneasy. Yeah. He even looks slimy. Like yeah. you just suspect him at the start, you know? Yeah. There's also that great scene where it's really hard to watch him being tortured, mm. like especially a second time because you, you feel his pain. And his face confused is just is. swollen. Oh, like yeah. it's like he ate a peanut and he's allergic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but I love that scene between him and Viola Davis, former I Know That Face subject, where she tries to show him kindness. Friend, friend of the podcast. Mm. Friend of the podcast. Mm. <laughs> where she tries to show him kindness in the hope that he will reveal something about her kid's disappearance. And mm. all he can say is, help me. Yeah. And he tries to escape because she, in kind of a gesture of goodwill, unties one of his yeah, arms. Yeah. And the fact that he tries to escape, which is the right thing he should try to do because yeah. he's innocent. Yeah. That makes them like, oh, he's definitely guilty. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. what's really impressive to me about the movie is that like, you're on all the main characters' sides, mm. especially yeah. once you have the full picture and you're rewatching yeah, it, yeah. you know? Um, aside from the killers, obviously. Obviously, yeah, <laughs> yeah. not the killers. Yeah. Yeah, I just um, stress that. But um, I, th- I just think that's very, very impressive to me. Yeah. And I heard that when Denny Villeneuve had Viola Davis and Paul Dano in the same shot, he whispered to Roger Deakins, his cinematographer, um, that it was a double I know that face shot at the time. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Any thoughts on Prisoners, James? I really liked, um, I think they're only in it together for like one scene maybe where Gyllenhaal and Dano are together in the... Interrogation. Yeah. And I thought that was really, really good. Again, Dano doesn't really say an awful lot. Gyllenhaal is so intense. It's a nice, like, lengthy scene and it's let play out really, really well. I think I listened to a few interviews with um, the pair of them afterwards and they just seem to work really, really well together. Yeah. Well, Paul Dano directed Wildlife with Jake John mm. Yeah. and then they're yeah. in Oxford together. I think what I love most about Prisoners is that it's such a grey, grim movie for, like, basically its entire runtime. But then occasionally it'll look into the little girl's room that was kidnapped, uh, Hugh Jackman's daughter, and it'll just be, like, luminous, bright pink. Mm. And you're just kind of reminded occasionally of, like, why they're doing the things they do because like you know this little girl is quite possibly alive and it's just it's such a good use of colour in like a basically colourless movie so great yeah yeah. yeah the little touches are really yeah, elevated yeah, because it yeah. could be like any cop show that comes out now yeah yeah but I, but I sort of love that they made a movie of it and it's so like even at two and a half hours it feels so tight and everything yeah, yeah. there's no stupid red herrings like what I think people think back on prisoners as having a lot of red herrings. Everything ties. There's no information that's extraneous. Yeah, which is yeah. really cool. And I think, as you said, like just having Denis Villeneuve. Who, this is his first um, English language movie, but he's like he was, was making like masterpieces. Like Incendies is a fantastic movie, but it's him kind of showing like I can be David Fincher. Mm, and you also yeah. have Deacons, who's the best cinematographer in the world, lensing yeah. this movie, mm-hmm. which I'm sure if you read the script would just be sort of like a very good example of a kind of like boilerplate yeah, sort of true detective yeah, yeah, type yeah, story yeah. but you just have all these great people elevating it an executive produced by Mark Wahlberg who'd have thought I imagine they wanted him for a Hugh Jackman role or yeah, he was involved yeah, at some yeah, point I'd say so yeah. Yeah. yeah great great movie all Danny Villeneuve movies I've seen I think are like four or five out of five movies yeah yeah, yeah they're all yeah. up there yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we talk about Love and Mercy you hear the new Beatles? We can't let them get ahead of us. Got all kinds of new ideas, new sounds, new instruments. You think we could get a horse in here? I saw it years ago. Because it's about Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. And Paul Dano plays him in his younger days when he was... Uh, I think it was Pet Sounds, where they're... Uh, yeah. That's mm-hmm. the era 
that he's in and then John Cusick plays him later when he's old and drug addicted and like basically kept prisoner by his therapist Paul yeah. Giamatti yeah. <laughs> um, but, terrifying <laughs> yeah really, really and that that's the interesting part of the movie for me oh really I'm the other yeah. way uh, because I do like the like the whole creative process thing and the, like the relationship with his dad but maybe it's just because my memory is kind of uh, that's a more the second half is more of, or the John Cusack half is more of a thrillery um, yeah it's more of a thrillier, thrillery and more romantic th- yeah and more romantic I think and whereas you know this one it's like it feels very montagey for some reason like I just remember a lot of like quick cutting between a lot of things it gives you a sense of like how he worked in his prime yeah that's why I love mm-hmm. it uh, and uh, and like Pet Sounds amazing album God only knows maybe like the best song ever one made of the, one of the best songs ever made yeah. it's sad that the movie doesn't cover the highlight of Brian Wilson's career that mm. you know the song was used in Boogie Nights but you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's the post credits yeah yeah the reason I like the Pondano bit of the movie better is because I feel, I feel like it's weird having such a charismatic kind of A-list star like John Cusack or at least he was when this movie came out or had been a leading man for 30 years playing this very sullen damaged version of Wilson mm, yeah. and sort of downplaying his charisma and I felt that it's he's great in the movie but it's a little bit more stagey yeah okay. and I think the best parts of that bit are Elizabeth Banks yeah. and Paul Giamatti Elizabeth Banks wonderful is this like Amazing, beacon of hope yeah, for yeah. him and seeing but, Paul Giamatti with a beard you're like oh, <laughs> <laughs> don't eat the burger yeah. um <laughs> You see Paul Dano's Brian Wilson, you're like, oh, it's Brian Wilson. I feel like when I listen to the, I'm not the biggest expert on the Beach Boys songs, but I know a lot of, I've listened to a lot of them. Mm. I don't know much about like the band themselves, but when I listen to their music, their songs are so pure mm. and so hard on their sleeves and mm. they seem so simple to listen to. But when you actually like just think a little bit deeper about them, they're, yeah. they're so complex and yeah. there's all these different harmonies going on. And mm. the movie, as Mark Rohn pointed out, is a little bit like that because the two, the Dano half and the Cusack half shouldn't really work together, but they sort of do. And it's yeah. almost like a Beach yeah. Boysy song. Two yeah. different melodies. like Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they feed really interesting into each other because with the Paul Dano half, it's, it's literally just him trying to record pet sounds and struggling with trying to move the band away from writing surf rock songs. Yeah, yeah. And there's a really funny part in the movie where he's like, we're not surfers. We've never been surfers. Even real <laughs> surfers hate our music. And one of them is like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> trying to make this, and he's like bringing dogs into the studio to layer in like interesting sounds into the mix. And he's yeah. like, can we bring a horse in here? There's all these really like great details. But you're also starting to see like his mental health disintegrate because he has this lingering trauma of being um, depicted in the movie from being... Uh, beaten up by his father played by Bill Camp in the film mm. uh, who is also their band manager for a while so he has this kind of he can't really escape the pull of his father even though he's fired him as the band's manager Yeah, and he's also started to dabble with LSD so that's like even disintegrating his mental health further yeah. so you're seeing like the breadcrumbs of that in the Dano half and then okay. by the time you get to the Cusack half you're just like oh man like yeah. 20 years of this led yeah. to the Cusack <laughs> like that but um, I just think that he, he captured Brian Wilson that thing about being so like hard on his sleeve and being so like yeah let's just go into the studio and let's do this and there's like there's this great bit where a musician he has all these session musicians brought in and he's really proud because he's like these are the best musicians in the world and no one knows who they are because they just they're paid to just perform in the background of songs they're not like superstars but one of them looks through the notes that he's written. And he's like, hey, is this right? This doesn't make sense. And I he's like, it actually. makes sense in my head. <laughs> you know, and he plays it and it's like, yeah, God only yeah. knows or something yeah, or wouldn't yeah. it be nice? And he he captures that sort of like the genius and the sort of just mm. love of the craft. Yeah. 
and the kind of perfectionism that he has. And it's almost sweet. Like there's a bit in the movie where he's describing um, Rubber Soul, the Beatles album, and he's talking about how it basically describing a concept album. He's like, all the songs, like, they're all great on their own, but they all come together to make something bigger. And it made me want to go listen to Rubber Soul, <laughs> as yeah, well yeah. as all the yeah. Beach Boys songs, yeah. which the movie's tropical. He has such an enthusiasm for his craft that I think. But then also, because Dano is so good at playing kind of darker characters, like you were saying in Prisoners mm. or in There Will Be Blood, that when you get the the touches that he's sort of losing his grip on yeah. sanity. It's really, really well observed. Like there's a scene at the dinner table where he, all the, like he's hanging out with his family and all these musicians and he's hearing voices and he's starting to hear sounds all the time and he screams because of the, he, all he can hear is the cutlery yeah, clinking yeah. against mm. each other or he assembles all these musicians into a, like a recording space and he's like, we can't record here because of the sounds, but there's no sounds happening. And it's really okay. hard to watch. And it's yeah, really sad. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I, I was just amazed at how he managed to capture both sides of Wilson's persona. Yeah. You know, yeah, really absolutely. well. Yeah, I didn't get to see this, but I watched a few clips. It looks like he's having a lot of fun for some of it. Oh, the um, stuff, the, all the montage stuff where you're getting him just kind of direct people. And there's a bit where he's like doing the, the dun no 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 and good vibrations. And his bandmate is like, you've said this 50 times. No, 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 no. They get it. They get it. And he's like, if you want to leave the studio, leave the studio. <laughs> I've seen that. It's brilliant. All that stuff is like fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah it's, a, it's a really infectious performance. And that still somehow manages to be dark as well. I don't, yeah. I don't really know how he managed to do it. And, um, apparent, and also what's great in the movie is that unlike something like Bohemian Rhapsody, whereas in the, in the studio sections of the movie, they have... It kind of a mix between Dano and Brian Wilson's voice but when it's just Dano at the piano like coming up with the lyrics to Good Vibrations or to God Only Knows it's Dano singing just pure and he mm. sounds great he sounds like exactly like Wilson yeah. and um, it's uh, it just adds another layer of authenticity he's a really good singer yeah. I think he actually learned to play some piano for that because he, he's a, I think he's a guitarist and a vocalist yeah he's so in a band he, yeah that's, which is actually called Mook that was funny <laughs> yeah, <that's good. laughs> um, but yeah he uh, Apparently learned to play a piano for that one. Cool. Yeah. You could say he's a Swiss army man. (laughs) (laughs) To segue. To segue smoothly. He plays Hank Thompson, who is a man marooned on an island who is rescued by a corpse called Manny, who's played by Daniel Radcliffe. Movie opens. Poor old Hank is about to hang himself because um, uh, he's been marooned on this island. Uh, Then he sees a body wash up. Harry Potter. Daniel Radcliffe, Manny, whatever you want to call him. And uh, the corpse, uh, he tries to, I think he tries to bury him or something. And then the body body just starts to fart Mm. uncontrollably. And then he realizes, he's like, oh my God, I can use, this corpse is farting so much. I can use it as a jet ski to get back to the mainland. And he does. And so basically this body becomes a Swiss army man. Mm. And so he uses his uh, farts to travel turns out the corpse swallows limitless amounts of rainwater that he can then drink its erection um, points uh, north or wherever he whatever uh, way he needs to get home it points eventually starts moving and helps him fight off a bear great it it does everything this movie sounds gross why is it good (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's really really funny like you would expect to get tired of fart jokes but you don't but you don't yeah and uh, it's also like quite an emotional movie. You've seen that, have you, James? Yeah, yeah. I've seen it yeah. twice now. I think it was sold to Dano when the directors uh, gave him the line, um, the first fart makes you laugh and the last fart makes you cry. 
Oh, it's very yeah, true. It's yeah. actually, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so true. surprisingly yeah. accurate. Yeah. So apparently he was on board um, with it like straight away. And it's, it's it has this indie feel to it, but it's it's dark at times. Mm. It's like, yeah, it's very dark. Very, really dark, yeah. Um, but it's also hilarious. It's inappropriate. Mm. Uh, it ticks all the boxes. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> it's, what's Dan like? What's his vibe? Um, well, initially, you just kind of want to see him survive because you, you kind of have to empathise with him because the movie opens with him trying to hang himself. Yeah. But as it moves on and he's like explaining all these things to Manny like because Manny basically has the mind of a child he, he kind of talks like this yeah, he, as well he, he can talk as well by the he way. doesn't <laughs> talk like 20 minutes in though yeah is there ever an explanation for why this corpse is not even that but like like someone will rescue Paul Dano and he's like oh what about Manny and it turns around and like it's no, just a dead body no, no. <laughs> uh, but there is, there is a part, part later on in the movie where he gets back to civilization and mm. he's being interviewed by the news and he's like, oh, it's all thanks to Manny here. And it's just this corpse like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then eventually he like runs away because throughout yeah. the film, he's been telling people about this woman who's played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And we see her in these real like golden hour lit shots because th- he's been sitting behind her on the bus for ages because he's in like... But he's never talked to her He's anything. never talked to her or anything. He, yeah, he doesn't know anything about her. But he managed to take pretty, a picture yeah. on his phone. Yeah. And he keeps like showing the picture to Manny, you know. Yeah. But Manny, who's a corpse, thinks that it's his girlfriend. Um. So Dana kind of teaches him how to love again. Yeah. Um, and how to feel affection towards this woman who Manny then grows to think is his girlfriend. Mm, yeah. Oh, okay. uh, but Manny has obviously never met before. Yeah. And neither has Paul Dana, really. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and eventually, like... They end up outside outside her house, and it turns out, oh no, she's married and has a child, and oh no, this is n- this is not going how I thought it would. <laughs> and uh, this is a spoiler for the ending, um, so I don't know, fast forward fifteen seconds or whatever. But um, there's a point like the James said, the first fart makes you laugh, the second, the last fart makes you cry. I would say it's the penultimate fart that makes you cry because <laughs> when he's being arrested because he's he's been really creepy and they've found this camp in the woods that is not that far from Mary Elizabeth Winstead's house that's full of like trinkets and odds and ends where he's been living Yeah. even though he didn't realise he was that close he farts really long and loud as he's being pulled into the police car and then eventually Manny starts flopping around and farting and <laughs> shooting out water and his erection is going <laughs> and his body jets off into the waves as everyone else looks on in abject horror except for um Hank's dad, who looks back at his son and goes, yes. Yeah, that's why well, I always knew you weren't a creep. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because it's a very weird theme, but the theme of farting throughout is is kind of... So Dano makes it out to Manny that like farts are okay when no one's around, but you should repress your farts when you're around people. And then... It's really, really strange and hard to explain. But then, <laughs> but then the fart then represents how you repress your emotions mm. in society. And so Dano, he wants to get across that you should have no shame. But then when it comes to farting in public, Dano doesn't do it. And when it comes to talking about erections, he doesn't like talking about erections to Manny. Yeah. But Manny obviously has no filter and doesn't realize any of this. So then the scene you're on about, Andrew, at the end where Dano farts... It's kind of him being true to Manny in a way. It's, it's bizarre. Yeah. And then he's talking to Manny and trying to get him to like come back to life. And yeah, yeah. it's a it's an ending to remember. It is. It, it sounds is, interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize that there was this much stuff in the movie. Yeah, it yeah, is. it's great. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. I thought it was just yeah. them on the island just having doing bits. Yeah, and if that was it, it'd be good. But all the stuff I've said makes it a great movie, and I encourage anyone to seek it out and watch it. 
it's really hard to pinpoint it. It's it's very it has a lot of charm to it and the story goes somewhere but not in the way you'd expect. Yeah. 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 It seems like that's the director's vibe. Yeah. Um we talk about Ocha? Yeah. Yeah. Everything you believe you know about Ocha is a lie. I think what's interesting about Archer is Paul Dan has such an interesting face with this kind of like oval baby head yeah. mm-hmm. and beady eyes that even when we see him for the first time in Okja under a mask, you're like, oh, it's Paul Dana. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? know straight away. Yeah. Um, so Okja's about a South Korean girl who's raising a giant pig on her farm named Okja, uh, which will basically solve world hunger once it's bred. But uh, she doesn't know it's going to be taken away for breeding purposes to New York, where it's going to be in the best pig competition. Uh, but en route, she chases it to Seoul and it's captured by the Animal Liberation Front, which is led by Jay, who's played by Paul Dano. And a tracker is placed on it and they let it go to New York. And so Mija is going to follow it there. What I, what I really like about um, Dano and Okja is that uh, Bong seems to be, Bong Joon-ho, director of the movie, seems to be the only person who re- has used Dano's six foot height to make him a figure of authority, mm, being the leader of point. this yeah. Animal Liberation Front, which waged war against Tilda Swinton's Morando Corporation, mm. uh, the, the meat company that it produced Okja. Yeah. And you totally get why Lily Collins and Stephen Yeun and the rest of him see him as a leader. And he looks yeah. so awesome as he jumps down the fire escape, almost like a dancer yeah. after mm. sneaking in to see Miha in the hotel. He's soft-spoken while being firm and commanding and also a little bit intense and scary at the same time. Yeah, Yeah, it's firmly against these massive corporations exploiting animals and even in the case of Okja, mutating their DNA to squeeze even more millions of profit. But it's also not quite as black and white in saying that everyone should be vegan. Mm. And instead, I think the film is calling for people to adopt a more sustainable lifestyle Mm -hmm. where you eat what's on the land and what's local and animals have more of a chance to have a life. Mm. And Miha at the beginning is seen eating fish and chicken um, on her granddad's farm and it, it looks so idyllic mm-hmm. and um, it's really interesting to me that the Animal Liberation Front are the heroes of Okja yet Bong and his co-writer John Ronson depict them as being almost inept yeah. at their jobs yeah. you know like yeah. the guy who keeps passing out um, yeah. <laughs> throwing the phones into the water and the Ziploc bags that break it doesn't work yet and uh, you know breaking their own rules like mm. Stephen Young's character does at a pivotal moment and Paul Dano says repeatedly in his soft tone voice, like, we never heard anyone human or non-human. But then later he beats the hell out of Stephen Young <laughs> yeah. for disobeying one it's of his commands. Intense. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, know? it is. Yeah. But, um, what I like about Okja is that it's basically like a children's adventure film, but blown up to adults kind of themes and proportions. Mm, yeah. yeah. And I think that's why, that's why it's so good. And you buy basically everything it is as it moves along. Because like, there's a bit where... Um, the truck driver who just quits in the middle after he's the, the son of Parasite, Parasite. Yeah, Parasite yeah. yeah he's very good actually um, I think it's name is Mundo is the yeah, company the man guy, yeah. yeah and he's like have you, have you no company loyalty this is what company loyalty looks like and he starts running and runs full force into a car door <laughs> it's the funniest joke in the movie yeah it's great <laughs> Um, and also, I love it. it's truly like a global movie. Like it begins in South Korea, yeah, moves yeah. to America, yeah. and like half of it's in South Korea. I, I love it. Yeah. It's so ambitious yeah. to me. Yeah, a great mix of cast as well. Oh yeah, everyone. Yeah. Jake yeah. Hall, another wonderful yeah. performance. Oh, he's, he's so funny so in this. Good, like, yeah. we will wrap up, but um, just talk briefly about what Paul Dano has next. He's going to play the Riddler in the Batman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think when we talked about Caleb Landry Jones, you rightly said that a lot of his performance are almost Joker-like, but with 
him I think he's so used to playing cycles that if we got to see him play the Joker it would almost be boring yeah, yeah. whereas with Dano I don't think he's ever gotten to be full crazy yeah so I think the closest probably those sermon scenes we talked about there will be blood yeah so I'm yeah. very curious to see what his Riddler will look like and I think physically he looks perfect like I've always thought of the Riddler as being someone who's handsome but with certain features that make them stand out in an interesting yeah. way and I mm. think Dano has those qualities yeah, and absolutely. you know that face you know yeah you definitely do you definitely Rate and view and subscribe where you get podcasts. Email us at I know that face pod at gmail.com if you'd like to be on the show or you'd like to pitch us on an actor we should cover. Uh, follow us on Twitter at I know that face P1. Follow us on Instagram at, at I know that face. Thanks to Shani Fernandez for running the Instagram page. Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Headstuff Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. James, anything to plug? Uh, best show, I suppose, is Cold Coffee Press. Brilliant. You can follow me at the Headstuff Film section where we're posting a few articles per week. See you later, Cinephiles. Bye-bye. Cheers, guys. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.